Hi, welcome back to The Clinical Spiritualist. My name is Morgan Thomas, she, her, and I'm a queer therapist and coach. I'm passionate about uplifting the LGBTQ plus community through client-centered care, and I'm also a spiritual practitioner who specializes in tarot. During the pandemic, I embarked on a spiritual journey that led me into questioning everything about myself and my life. I came out as bisexual, left religion, began reading tarot, and started my own business. I'm passionate about sharing honest stories in hopes of bringing healing, curiosity, and new insights into your world. As always, take what resonates and leave what doesn't. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Let's start with your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about you and your business. Um, I'm Sarah Calvary's pronouns are she, they, I won't be offended if you call me he, it doesn't really, you know, I'm just a human. Um, uh, I own the eighth house and we are a modern metaphysical shop. Uh, We used to be in South Jersey. We're in the process of, uh, Moving to South Philly. Well, we're, we're in South Philly. We're waiting for our building to be complete. Um, we, I'm a tarot deck illustrator, uh, an author. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else. I, I mean, we make a lot of stuff. We yeah. make a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've checked out your shop. You have a, you have a lot of cool stuff. I love your, your shirts. Um, and I, I love that you, you do a lot of different things, wear a lot of different hats. I think that's for me, sometimes challenging to kind of brand myself as multiple things because we're told, you know, be one thing, be one role. So I think it's very cool that you, you wear a lot of different hats. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's boring to be one thing. I'm an astrologer and a tarot reader. I have Gemini in, uh, or Mars and Gemini in my 10th house. So I like to do a lot of things cool. all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's pros and cons to that. For sure. Definitely. I'm not huge astrology person. I know baseline stuff, but what are your big three? I am a Virgo rising. Uh, so I like, I like order and mm-hmm. systems. Um, I am an airy sun, so I'm a little oh. bit chaotic and I have like big emotions. Uh, and I'm a Leo moon, cool. which I don't know. My Leo moon is a little odd because it's in the 12th house. So it's not like a super traditional Leo moon. Um, I actually have a lot of stage fright, which is interesting to be a Leo moon. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, I'm a cancer Capricorn Scorpio rising. So we don't have any in common. No, no. My (laughs) husband, so my husband's a Capricorn and my mom is a triple Scorpio. That's yeah, cool. Everybody gives me that face. It's <laughs> Connie's a lot. Connie is very intense. Um, so, tell me a little bit about your shop name. I'm sure it, ha- it sounds like it has astrology meaning. Yeah, yeah. I have um, an eighth house stellium, so I have a lot of planets sitting there. My Mercury, my Jupiter, my Sun, my North Node. Uh, lots of planets sitting in the eighth house on my chart yeah. and. The eighth house is Scorpio's house in the flat chart. That's the house that's associated with Scorpio. Um, It's a house that has a lot to do with the underworld and transformation and truth telling and rebirth. Um, It's also about shared resources. It's opposite the second house, which is very much about like tangible wealth actual money, you know, things like that, Mm -hmm. um, material goods, a a physical experience of being in a body, Mm -hmm. right? Like people think of the second house as just being your money. Um, but it's really much more about, um, the experience of incarnating on this planet in a physical body and enjoying Mm -hmm. all of the physical things that come with that, which material wealth is part of that. Yeah. Um, so the eighth house is this idea of, how does wealth look without money? And that's a sense of power, right? So like, what is wealth without money? That's power. And it's also about shared wealth. So things like taxes, inheritance, um, Mm -hmm. shared resources. 
Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Very neat. You said something about truth teller. And honestly, when I think about seeing your, your Instagram and your TikTok, that's very much like a word I would think to describe you. I love that you're in the spiritual space, but you speak to real life, human issues. You talk a lot about capitalism. Honestly, I've, I've learned so much, um, because I feel like in the, since the pandemic, really, I've been going through my own awakening of really understanding what capitalism even is. I feel like I've just been asleep (laughs) for, uh, 23 years and 27 now. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my, my God, my mental health has been impacted by jobs. It always has been, but just this huge awakening. And I love that you speak to how capitalism impacts our spiritual and mental health. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. Um, I would love to know in your words, um, again, don't expect you to be total expert, just expect you to be human which you're great at. Um, let's just, let's talk about capitalism. What is it to you? What is it and how does it impact us? So like the short way that I explain this to people is that capitalism is a pyramid scheme. Um, but what it really is, is, I mean, the textbook definition is that it's a political and economic system. It's the political and economic system that we exist in, in the United States. Yeah. And it's this idea that, of a free market, right? So supply and demand and um, personal interest are what control pricing Mm -hmm. and the value of goods in a free market. So it's this idea that there's open competition. Anybody can open up a business and charge what they want. It's a free market. The state doesn't own um, the goods. It's not, I mean, we have employee owned businesses and things like that, but, um, employees don't own the goods. It's private owners. Um, and so the way that it works is it's kind of like the thought behind it is that if we have a lot of options and there's competition, then it's good for the consumer. So this is what the myth I'll say that we're taught in like high school economics classes, or like I have an MBA and no shade to anybody who has one. It is the most useful, useless degree I've ever gotten. Yeah. Um, it's just, well, because it's like, it's really heavily indoctrinates you with this idea of capitalism as being like the best. And, um, you know, it's like, we love the free market. It's very like Ayn Rand kind of philosophy, this like laissez-faire capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but what ends up happening is that, you know, wealth gets fed upwards, right? If, if you have business owners who are trying to compete in a market, you have to be somewhat wealthy to be a capital holder to begin with, right? Like even to open a business, you have to have access to wealth. And so like when I opened the eighth house, I'm, I don't come from a family that's particularly wealthy, but I did have the privilege to go to college and get an engineering degree. And I was working as an engineer making a decent salary and I was living like I was working at McDonald's Mm -hmm. and then I would just take the money and put it towards the business until we had a business. Um, But like, you have to have a certain level of access to become a capital holder, Mm -hmm. to become a business owner in our country. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is it's, there's worker exploitation, right? You get, Workers at the bottom who are sold this bootstrapping lie, the American dream, if you work hard enough, you can do anything you want. Um, But the problem with that mentality is that it completely um, ignores or doesn't account for all the intersections of marginalization and oppression, whether it be financial, racial, gender-based, however that looks, um, the bootstrapping mentality, um, basically says everyone should be pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, but that's harder for some people than for other people based on circumstances that they often don't get to choose. Um, but yeah, people who make it to the top of the the pyramid, you know, you've got your, you got Zuck and Bezos and, um, Elon Musk, you know, and the way that they make their money is by 
not paying workers a living wage by exploiting the people who work under them. And it's this idea that you have a massive workforce and everyone's sort of scrambling for these limited positions all the way up at the top. And it makes sort of a pyramid. It breeds competition. It breeds individualism. This idea of like step you, if you're climbing in capitalism by default, you are stepping on someone to go upward so right. it's just, it's a, it's a, in, I'll say, um, Oxford dictionary definition terms, it is just an economic and political system. Um, but where we're at now is it's very uh, visceral. It's an experience. It's a lived experience that impacts a lot of people. Um, we're in late stage capitalism because what ends up happening is over time, resources get fed upward, upward, upward until there's not enough for the middle class. Mm. And that's the tipping point that we're kind of at right now, where billionaires hold such a huge portion of the financial pie in our country. And then you have the working class where, um, you know, in a, I don't think in any state, or it's only maybe a handful of states, if you work full-time at a minimum wage paying job, you can afford a one-bedroom apartment. There's only like a handful of states where that's the thing. And in what world should someone be working 40 hours a week and not be able to put a roof over their head? Like, let alone food, utilities, you can't even put a roof over your head. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot, but... um, yeah, it's it's interesting because the United States, we really love capitalism and it's tied in with nationalism and all these other things that we're told about ourselves uh, growing up in the U.S. And it's kind of tough. It's tough to think about because it's driving small businesses out. It's why we have food deserts. It's I mean, there's just it is at the root of everything. And it's also ruining the environment. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, that's kind of all over the place, but it's just, it's a system that's touching every aspect of your life, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. Yeah. My God, that was a wonderful explanation. I loved the the pyramid scheme. Uh, That's so true. That's very, very true. Um, Do you feel like you've always had the sense of knowing how harmful capitalism is, or do you feel like you went through like a boom, something happened in your own life or, and you were just like, whoa, this is wild. So I was probably in, and I don't think it was a conscious, like, oh, capitalism is bad. But I remember when I started thinking like, this isn't how it should work. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I was in college, maybe like maybe my senior year of high school, freshman year of college. No, I guess it would have been the end of my college experience. So it would have been like in the early two thousands. Um, I grew up in a small town, uh, and it was all union workers. I'm from West Virginia. So there were a lot of like coal miners and steel mill workers Mm -hmm. and unions protect wages. Unions provide workers with adequate healthcare. They advocate for the worker. Mm -hmm. Um, Over time in the United States, I mean, the steel industry was booming like all through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even into the early 90s. And then um, steel started to get cheaper overseas. Uh, There tends to be a cheaper labor cost associated with um, overseas labor. And we won't even get into why that is, but it's not for good reason. Right. Um, And so what ends up happening is like U.S. business owners need steel to make buildings and make products and things. Um, but they can get it cheaper overseas. And so at some point a political policy decision was made when I was in like maybe early high school to start closing the mills and sending these jobs overseas. Um, I think coal was always on the way out just because it's not like great for the environment, but, um, they never thought to bring in something that was, more environmentally efficient and train these people to take those jobs instead. Like they, there was just no planning. Yeah. And so the coal mines are not really going anymore. Steel mills, not really going anymore. Um, and the economy completely collapsed in the town that I grew up in. So I didn't realize how rare it was to grow up in a place where there are only small businesses 
we didn't have a Walmart. We didn't have a McDonald's. Um, my grandparents owned an auto parts store. Our pharmacy was family owned. All the restaurants were family owned. There were no big banks. There were only credit unions because of the union work that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and people could get a job. I mean, it was physical labor, but people could get a job that paid a living wage where they had a pension and health care and they could afford a home and a family. Um, and then because there was no big business there, no corporations, mm-hmm. you see a lot of wealth recirculation. People spend their money. Um, you know, you go work in the mills and then when you need your car fixed, you come to my grandparents' store and then they take their money and go to the local grocery store that's owned by a local family and spend the money there. And then they take the money and go fill their pharmacies at Boyd's pharmacy, which is family owned. And so all the money stayed in the town and you get a lot of wealth recirculation and it also generates a lot of local tax revenue. So better roads, better schools, better programs. Um, When all of this industry went out of the town, steel mills, coal mines, things like that, um, people couldn't spend money at small businesses. So all small businesses closed. And then at that point, Walmart moves in, Dollar General moves in, McDonald's moves in. So now these are the only jobs. So people are working these jobs. They're used to making a living wage, a union wage. Now they're making not a living wage. And when you work for companies like Walmart, as part of their onboarding, they will teach you how to get like basically government money, government aid, like welfare, mm-hmm. um, because they know they're not paying you enough. They know they're not. I'm sure you've heard of the things where like people will work, they'll work people like 38 hours so that they don't have to give it, them health insurance. Health insurance. Yeah. Um, so this is all very calculated. And then what happens is people get these paychecks. Um, a lot of people are on government assistance because they need it. They absolutely need it. But this is a way that Walmart is getting taxpayers to non-consensually fund this kind of worker exploitation. And people don't have that much money. So the only places they can shop are Dollar General and Walmart. So Walmart gives them, exploits the labor, gives them a tiny check, and then they turn around and give that check right back to Walmart and that money leaves the community. So nearly no local tax revenues being generated because Walmarts and Amazons uh, often get tax breaks right. uh, to exist for quote unquote job creation. So, you know, you will watch these towns just like it's the reason why parts of Michigan look the way they do where the auto like Flint and whatnot, where the auto industry used to be there and now it's gone. Uh, Trenton, New Jersey, the ironworks used to be there. Now it's gone. Um, and this is what happens everywhere is that like when you have an economy full of small businesses that are like sharing this wealth and you're getting a lot of wealth recirculation, it, it really works for a community. But the minute you get these large corporations in a place, it will completely drain a community of all of its resources. Mm. And I remember going back to my hometown, like years after steel left. and looking around and thinking like what happened here and that was when I started to like put together like as I got older and I learned a little bit more about like economic theory and whatnot I started to put together like oh that's what happened there capitalism is what happened there yeah so I guess that's a long answer to say that like I saw it firsthand. I just didn't know what the name for it was until I was a little older. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot within your story there. It's like, I I understand it when it comes to my personal life. And, um, but then the way you said, like, um, how it just contributes to a whole society and where the wealth goes. And um, I mean, it just, it goes beyond our personalized and I don't think I think about that often enough and so that really gave me a my mind was just yeah that makes a lot of sense it's it's so well designed uh like designed you know for lack of better words it's designed to do what it's doing it's designed to do exactly what it's doing right and then you know on an individual level we internalize capitalism it's it's this idea that like, unless we're productive or we're busy or we're producing, then we're like not worth anything. Um, 
you know, it's releasing things that we enjoy and time with people that we enjoy because we can't equate it to a dollar value. It's this sort of like girl boss hustle and grind culture. Um, And it's just like, it's not, it's not helpful. Like humans Mm. aren't meant to work like this. And I, I've watched a few um, TikTok videos that have talked about um, this idea of like ebbs and flows in things. Capitalism, we are overproducing uh, for margins, right? So we're not producing to meet a specific need for most products. We are overproducing to get bulk discount and create margins. And, you know, if we were to produce to the need, um, it would be uh, different. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need to work a 40 hour work week, you know, 365 days a year. Um, you know, the demand for certain products is seasonal, So why are we working at it, you know, full force all the time, trying to make more and more and more when there isn't even a demand for that much? Mm. So it's, I mean, it's just, it creeps into the way that you think. Oh, I mean, even, even things like, um, just how we spend our money and, um, how we think about our mental health, like how we prioritize certain things. If it's Mm. something that doesn't bring us a a certain level of payout or a certain level of productivity, um, it will fall to the bottom of our list, even though it's something that's like deeply necessary often. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, uh, I really internalized, uh, the capitalism and the whole American dream, not only because of society, uh, but it's really ingrained in my family, the bootstrapping, like if you work hard enough, like you can do it. And so I really internalized that went to college for six years. I was like, okay, you know, struggling financially the whole time. Okay. Once I get this degree, once I get the next degree, once I get this license, like I was just constantly, you know, working 12 hour days and school and whatever, all the things. And then I was like, okay, once I get my master's, like I've made it, I'm going to be just, you know, have it all the money and I'll be good that my mental health and everything will be good. And I get into my first post-grad job as a therapist and I burn out in 10 months, um, severely underpaid, working with high trauma kids. I can't make my rent. I live in a studio apartment. That's a thousand dollars. I can't make my rent. I can hardly afford groceries. Um, but I, I internalized that of like, what am I doing wrong? I need to take on more clients. I need to, I wasn't getting insurance. Like it was a contract job. I had no paid time off. Like all these horrible things that I just, I, I knew what was going on, but I just denied the truth because I was like, this is my fault. I'm not doing enough. I call I'm still on food stamps. I'm on Medicaid. Like, and it was this whole mind blowing experience for me of like, I did all the things I got the 4.0. I, you know, I did what I was supposed to do, what I was told to do. And why can't, why can't I pay for my basic needs? It was, so it's just something I'm, I'm very, I'm very passionate about that um, specific to the mental health field, but obviously it happens everywhere is that I've been working for, since I was 16, like it's, it's a, it's a lie. <laughs> it is a scam. <laughs> We're being scammed. So when I say like your content is just, it, it aligns, like, it's just, I, we need to be talking about it. The reason that uh, you say like, I'm working all this, I'm working all these hours. Like, how mm-hmm. can I not afford it? Wealth hoarding. That's what's happening. Um, when you look at such a narrow portion of the population holding such a large chunk of the wealth in our country mm-hmm. um, and then receiving tax breaks on it. I mean, for reference, the average American household pays anywhere from like 20 to 30 percent of their income in taxes. So, you know, local, federal, state, you know, you can count on anywhere from like 20 to 30 percent for the average American. Mm-hmm. Um And that's the true tax rate that we pay. If you're a small business owner, you're paying, you know, around that 30% mark. We get taxed pretty heavily. And then when you look at someone like a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk, they pay a three to 4% true tax rate. That's wild. That is 
you know, and they're hoarding all this wealth. So it's this idea of like your labor is valuable. It's just not valuable to you. You're generating money for capital holders who are hoarding the money and not paying their fair share. Mm, mm. Yeah, I knew it was low. I did not know it was that different. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the tax rates that they're supposed to pay, it's on par with what we pay. They're supposed to pay like around that 20% range. Um, now, I think Biden did just pass uh, a thing recently where they they are going to begin to tax people above a certain income level a little more heavily. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the Inflation Act. I believe that was part of that, but that's relatively new. Um, but yeah, what ends up happening is like when I lived in uh, Roebling, New Jersey, we got an Amazon that came like to it's like a warehouse or distribution center that was setting up there. And the town gave them like tax-free status for a certain period of time because they were, you know, creating so many jobs. Uh, But here's the thing is that it's like, okay, but the tax burden for the area is the tax burden for the area. The tax bill is the tax bill. So what ends up happening is if you own a home there, your property tax goes up. People wonder why the property tax goes up over and over and over each year in New Jersey, why we have these exorbitant property taxes. It's because we're not taxing like the big businesses that are there. Yeah. Um, You know what I mean? Small businesses share the tax burden with a community. Big businesses often do not, not always, but often do not. Yeah. So it's a whole thing. Like when you start to think about your labor in a way Mm. that it's like, I work 40 hours a week. I should be able to do X, Y, Z. Like we, we should be accustomed to a certain standard of living, which you know, includes things like healthcare, housing, basic food needs being met. Um, You know, the things that education, the things that we need across the board. And honestly, that's the fastest way to close um, generational wealth gaps is to, so that, you know, if you're, you're someone who didn't come from very much money and it doesn't matter because your education is paid for no matter what you want to do. Like that's the fastest way to start to close generational wealth gaps between, you know, marginalized groups in our country. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that we protect capitalism and the American dream so hard? Not, not the wealthy. That makes sense. Using quotes, people who aren't watching. Um, That makes sense sense why wealthy people love capitalism or people who want power and control for the workers who are you know factory workers or not making can't make ends meet why why do we love it why can't we see through it some people can I mean we're starting to see a big shift I mean Starbucks is unionizing Mm -hmm. um at a pretty impressive rate Mm -hmm. um there's been a lot of movement with Amazon workers yeah you know, pushing for unions and things like that. So at the worker level, I think we are seeing people, you know, being like, Hey, this is not okay. Like I, you know, we should have a certain standard of, of living for the amount of work that we're doing. Right. Um, And in a lot of ways, I think we defend the people who defend capitalism uh, are the people who benefit from capitalism. Right. Um, and also people who benefit from a lot of privilege, yeah. uh, because if you are born with a certain level of privilege in our country, you may not ever have to work at McDonald's. Even if you're not a billionaire, if you have a certain level of privilege based on your race, your gender, you know, your family's generational wealth, even if you're not a millionaire or billionaire, right. um, for you, you would say, oh, well, my great grandmother pulled herself up by her bootstraps. And so everyone else should too. There's this core idea and we're seeing it with um, like student, the student loan, oh I say God, quote, yeah. relief, because like, here's not the shit. Thing. Not shit. <laughs> it's relief, but it's also not. So it's when you look at like across the board, mm. um, I think there was a statistic that said that the average like white person carries about $12,000 of student loan debt. Um, and then the average person of color is mm-hmm. carrying around $50,000. Um, I fall nearer to that $50,000 mark, but think about $10,000 being wiped off of both of those. The, the white person now owes two Definitely. grand, yeah. but you know, the, 
the non-white person now owes 40 grand, but with interest, they're going to be above that 50 mark within probably a few years. Exactly. So, you know, this is, this is the thing is like, first of all, there's this idea of like relative privilege. And if you have it and you're not peeling the onion to see that you have it, you can aggress. These people are aggressively defending a system that benefited them, but doesn't Uh, benefit everyone. everyone. And then the other side of it is it's this idea of individualism. which this is a big, it's a misery loves company thing where it comes to like student loans, where someone's saying like, well, I paid off my student loans. So I guess now my tax dollars get to pay yours off. But you know, it's this idea because I had to suffer through it. You also should have to suffer through it. But the flip side of that argument, if you look at it like cancer, so I have relatives who died from cancer. If there were a cure for cancer tomorrow, Right. I would definitely want people who have cancer to get the cure. I don't want to look at these people and say, well, my grandma had to suffer with cancer. So yours should too. Like right. it's this idea of wanting to improve the quality of life for future generations, as opposed to I had to do it. So you should have to suffer through it too. Student debt sucks. Yeah. Like no one should have to suffer through it. You yeah. know, yeah. But that's that, but that's the sort of mentality is this idea of like, well, I had to do this. So you should have to do it too. It's yeah. very individualistic. Oh yeah. 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 That argument is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to even look at because we are, that was a perfect analogy. We think I suffer, you suffer, and we are such an individual society and that's not, the norm across the globe or across communities within the U.S. Um, you posted something when Roe v. Wade was overturned. Uh, I want you to speak to, if you want, um, I kind of forget along the lines, but basically places like Dix and Amazon were like, we'll pay for you to have an abortion and you related it to capitalism. I would love to know that breakdown because I saw it and I was like, I didn't even, for, I think that's why then I asked you to come on the podcast. Cause I'm like, I, I didn't even think of that. I was, cause I was like, Oh my God, that's so amazing. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's really a thing of like, okay, we see this throughout modern history. Something that happens when capitalism starts to tip capitalism. I don't love it, but I will say it can function yeah. not well, yeah. but it can be functional. Uh, when there is enough wealth among the working class. And that's what we saw in like the 70s, 80s, you know, in the United States is that there was a lot of US manufacturing here. People could make a living. You know, it's it's not great. It's not the best, but it will function. It is no longer functional. We're tipping into this like late stage capitalism place. And what we see when that happens, that sort of like tip over in other countries. So like in Japan, Uh, I think this was like in the early mid 2000s, there was a huge concern over people not having and having enough children, like, basically, the younger generations, capitalism became so hard to function in, they were, I I don't know if you've heard about like Japanese offices where like, they have sleeping pods so that you can like, literally never leave the office, they want you to work like, around the clock, the pressures of work are huge, the cost of living is high, And so people say like, I can't feasibly work these hours and make this little money and be able to financially and time-wise have a family, support a family. And we see this across the board. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. If it becomes, if you're too financially strapped and you don't have the time, you can't have children. I mean, you can, but it's, it's not an ideal, let me say that it's not an ideal environment to be planning pregnancies. I hear you. Um, So we're seeing that in the United States. Since 2008, the U.S. birth rate has been rapidly declining. This is something that has been on conservatives' radars for a long time. And this goes twofold. So first, um, specifically white people are not having as many babies. And there are a lot of people who are concerned that white people are going to become a minority in the country because non-white people are having babies at a rate that would be higher than non-white or than white people having babies. So there's a racism piece to it. Um, You know, obviously a lot of conservatives who are, have racist values would 
like to see more white people. Um, The other piece of this comes from like a financial standpoint. The way that our retirement system works is that you have a working class that pays into a social security system. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the idea is that by the time you get to, you know, we're paying for boomers who are retired right now and they're a huge generation. Mm -hmm. And if the birth rate keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, eventually you will have a working class that cannot support the retiring population. And so this was a big thing that Paul Ryan was talking about, like maybe in the mid 2000s, he was like pushing for people to have more children because like, we're not going to be able to support the retiring population. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have the great resignation Mm -hmm. to consider because in the pandemic, a lot of people had this wake up moment where it's like, I've been giving my life to capital holders. And is it really worth it? They don't care if I live or die. They're going to put me in this factory to make some non-essential product. And they literally don't care if I die and I'm giving everything to them. So a lot of people are tired of being exploited. They're leaving the workforce in huge numbers. So those are like the things we have to consider. There's a lot of reasons that people are not having children. It were, we all have massive student debt. Mm-hmm. Most of us can't afford to buy a house because we're being displaced out of the housing market by Wall Street. Um, yeah. You know, it's just hard to live. Daycare costs in our country are beyond astronomical. Like if if my partner and I were to decide to have a child, I would have to go back to working an engineering job just to afford to put them in daycare and never see them. Yeah. Um, Healthcare costs. We have a for-profit private healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So to have a child costs quite a bit of money, let alone if you have complications as a birthing person. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you consider all of that together, people are just (laughs) having less children. And so by getting rid of or overturning Roe v. Wade, first of all, you're now forcing people to carry a pregnancy to term in places where it is now very difficult to completely banned to access abortion. Um, And two, when you look at the statistics for who accesses abortion, it would, it affects a lot of white women because a lot of white women do access abortion where it is available. Um, So with all the things we talked about that, that part of it sort of makes I don't want to say it makes sense because it doesn't make sense, but it does like you can follow the logic. Right. Right. Um, So then on the flip side of this related to the great resignation stuff, you have companies like Starbucks, Dick's Sporting Goods. um, They're saying things like we believe in birthing people's right to access abortion. So if you're in a state where you can't access abortion, we'll pay for you to go and do that. And so this incentivizes workers who have left the workforce as part of the great resignation to come back to the workforce for access to what should be basic Basic healthcare, basic healthcare. Now let's think about this for a second. If I'm Starbucks and I really feel this strongly about this issue, could I not yank all of my franchises out of Texas? Would that not be the better move to send a message to Texas that like, baby, you aren't getting these tax dollars. It's not not about that. It's not about them caring about the issue. It's about them getting workers back in the door Uh. to exploit them. And of course, they're only offering this to the non-union employees because anything like this would have to be negotiated with the union. Um, So it also works as a tool. Like if you are someone who's working at Starbucks specifically because of this benefit, um, you would be saying to yourself, like, if if someone came around trying to unionize your store and you know you would lose this benefit unless it was something that could be worked out with the union, now you're less likely to unionize also. Oh, shit. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons for this. But Roe v. Wade is 1000% tied into capitalism. It has a lot to do with the working class supporting the retiring population, has a lot to do with getting people back into the workforce, mm-hmm. um, has a lot to do with union busting. It has a lot to do with racism. Oh I mean, it just across the board, it has it's it's bad for everyone, <laughs> except for if you're like a very rich capital holder. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Excuse so. me, why my mind is just blown because, yeah, I was really thinking a lot as you were speaking how I never realized in the last few years when I had to get off my parents' insurance and get on Medicaid because it's the only thing that I could, well, I'm not paying for it, but the only thing I could afford because I can't pay for health insurance. Um, how health insurance is tied to full-time work. That's insane. <laughs> That's a big part of capitalism. It's not just health insurance, right? This is also um, your retirement. True. Um, this is your, anything you need to really have a certain quality of life is tied to working for a capital holder. Something that people don't talk about a lot. If you're a small business owner, it is incredibly difficult to get a mortgage. Uh, if you work for a capital holder, that is 100% of the time preferred over self-employment. Yeah. Does it take into account income? Like if someone's making... Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. But you have to have years worth of in- like finances to show to them. Uh, where if you work like... So when my husband and I were looking uh, at getting a mortgage, uh, he's a teacher and they asked for like two W-2s. For me, they wanted three years worth of my full tax returns, profit and loss statements. And they wanted to like audit them. They wanted to like go through them with me line by line. Oh my gosh. I saw your, some of your posts about that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the stuff they don't, It. we are so, this is what I mean about the United States being so married to capitalism. Like to survive in this country, you almost have to work for a capital holder. Mm. Yeah. Um, you're, if you're backed into a corner, you know? Yeah. My partner, she works for uh, Target and, you know, very much disagrees, you know, anti-capitalism, all the things. Um, we got COVID last month in July and with Target, you get COVID pay and they didn't pay her on time. So she was just left without her money for weeks. And it's just, it's just little things like that that you just feel so like at their, at their mercy, like you don't want to be subscribing to these systems, but yet we have to. And I'm actually curious your thoughts. So, you know, of course I understand shopping local, shopping small. How do you personally navigate? So for me, for me, for a while, I was like, fuck Wendy's and all these places I'm not going there. And then I'm like, oh wait, but that's cheaper and convenient. And like, so I've given myself a lot of grace of like, okay, it, it is a system I'm, I am in, and sometimes I don't necessarily have a lot of options. So how do you navigate that personally and like find balance? So here's the thing is as members of the working class, um, we never blame or shame the working class for accessing things at the price that they need to access them. The working mm-hmm. class and people who are economically disadvantaged are victims of this system. They're right. victims of capitalism. So uh, my husband and I do not make a ton of money. I am a small business owner. He is a teacher. Um, And yeah, sometimes we have to go to Walmart or sometimes we have to, well, I don't, I actually don't go to Walmart. That's a bad example, but sometimes we have to go to Target or sometimes, yeah, like if you're traveling somewhere and you're starving on the road, you know, and you need to get something, sometimes all there is is a Wendy's, you know, or it's just, you have to do what you have to do. Uh, things you can do is yeah. When you can shopping, small shopping, local, obviously very helpful. Um, employee owned places are very helpful. Like when I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, there were some grocery stores like Woodman's that were employee owned and, you know, they were able to offer the same pricing as a lot of like the chain grocery stores. So just choosing to shop at Woodman's because, it's an employee owned model. They do profit sharing with their employees as opposed to, you know, having it being all eaten up by the capital holder. Um, you know, there's, there's things you can do like that, but I, I would say if you're in financial straits, which a lot of people are, you're not alone. I mean, we sometimes, you know, if I'm like a week late on a payment for something and capital one is calling me, I'm like, capital one, you are about to be fine. You are a bank. Okay. Like if my credit card bill is a week late, you're going to be fine. Like you can wait, um, you know, Real, <laughs> you're a yeah. literal bank. You're going to be okay. Um, yeah. you get bailouts. We don't. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's this idea of like, people are in financial straits. Food costs are up. There's a formula shortage. Gas prices are up. Housing costs 
are up. Um, so you kind of have to do what you have to do to get yeah. by. And I, I wouldn't say that I would blame or shame anyone in the world. There are people who I know would love to shop with us, but can't because it's, we, we can't beat Walmart's pricing because we don't exploit the people who work with like at right. the eighth house. Yeah. Um, and so I would never ever like blame or shame them for having to do dollar general over buying a soap with us or something. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know that there's a good answer, but I will say we blame the people who built and benefit from the system, not the people who are the victims of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you speak to something really beautiful of just giving yourself grace, zooming out is what I feel like zooming out and like looking at that pyramid scheme and taking, cause that's what they want is the internalized. What am I doing? I'm fucking up me, 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 me. I'm so bad but really we're just living within a really harmful system and all we can do is our best. And I think another thing that you reminded me of today is continuing educate, like educating yourself. And, you know, sometimes it's easier to look away to things that are really hard and, you know, obviously finding self-care and not doom scrolling, but also to like tuning in to current events and our history and um, how that impacts not only you, but other groups that you're not a part of, marginalized groups too. Yeah, it's, it's, we're playing, everybody has a different sort of starting point. You know what I mean? Some people have a head start in a lot of ways. So it's, it's a thing where when you feel yourself being hard on yourself Mm -hmm. for things that are a direct um, effect of capitalism, it's hard. It's hard to train yourself out of like feeling guilty when you sit down to watch a movie because you should be working. Like that kind of stuff is some of the hardest habits to break, but also super necessary Um, because it starts individually like that. Like when we all start to make a collective change to say um, rest is not lazy, you know, that's when you start to see, because at some point, I mean, no one gets out alive, right? At some point, the people who are in power and who are in charge we're going to be, our generation is going to be those people. And if we've all made that shift individually, true, we can change larger systems, you know? So I would say, even if you're someone who can't um, maybe, you know, shop with all small businesses or forego Wendy's or whatever, mm. work on your own internalized capitalism to the degree that you can. Again, because this is also privilege. Some people have to work around the clock and they can't rest. Um, But when you have the moments to do so, let yourself do so in a not guilty way. Mm -hmm. Like the little changes like that make a big difference. Yeah. Do you feel, it sounds like you have hope. Do you feel hopeful that as time goes on, things can change? I think the next few years, I mean, I'm also an astrologer. So there's a lot of pretty wild outer planet things that are happening right now the u.s is in its pluto return um that's pretty intense the fall of rome fell during rome fell during its second pluto return um french revolution happened you know marie antoinette the guillotine the whole bit um that happened during france's pluto return so the united states we are living through that right now we are in the u.s pluto return um So a lot of what we're seeing has to do with this big outer planet astrology. Um, All three of the outer planets are going to change signs uh, with between 2024 and 2026. Uh, That's also a big deal. We almost never see all three planets change signs back to back like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, for the next few years, things are going to be tough because it took a long time to build these systems we can't just snap our fingers and expect that they're going to go away like that quickly. Uh, it's going to take time to start to address changes for things right. that aren't working. But I would say by the time we hit like 2026, 2027, I think things will start, we'll be having serious conversations about things looking different, especially as Pluto moves into Aquarius. Yeah. Yeah. On a much lighter note, <laughs> we're gonna really like come up from the waters here with something a little fun and flirty um first of all is there anything else that you want to add related to topic of capitalism and mental health 
No, I think that that's, I mean, we went through a lot. I'm oh, a talker. I'm sure we're like already over time. I do this on every good. podcast. No, I'm like, good. it's my ADHD, like hype. This is my hyper fixation thing. Um, <laughs> so no, I, I'm glad. I'm glad we've, we're not, we're not at two yet. We have eight minutes. So we're good. Okay. Um, I've, I've loved this conversation. I, I really appreciate you getting on here, educating, um, sharing with your listeners, my listeners, all of these really hard, but necessary conversations. I've, I've learned a lot from you today. Um, truly on a lighter note, as, as we're not all leaving this podcast anxious as hell, <laughs> which is not your fault. It's, it's capitalism. Um, which tarot card do you feel like you're embodying right now in your life? Um, I'm going to say the hanged one. Um, yeah, just like we're going through a lot of change with the store and it's a lot of like, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. We're experiencing a lot of like delays and stuff. So, uh, it feels very like, I would say hanged man. And also the moon. I, it feels very like moon. I'm going through a lot of like therapy stuff right now. And, um, I haven't been like as active on socials. Usually I'm like much more out there, yeah. but I feel a little more like withdrawn and kind mm-hmm. of like, uh, I'm just sort of like hanging out waiting for the next thing. Cause like, we're at a point where we're getting ready to open the store, but it's just like not quite ready yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that in between, I pulled that card yesterday. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I just read up on it, just hear a new perspective and I really like the the hang one for like a really big pause like just take a break take a take a moment yeah it's and it doesn't always feel comfortable that's the thing about the hanged one is like it's very um oftentimes it's when we want chariot energy right where we're like our foot's on the gas we're ready to go and then you get the hanged one and you're like really yeah um it feels boring yeah (laughs) it feels frustrating in a lot of in a lot of ways yeah yeah how can listeners follow you, support your shop, support you, all the things? Um, well, we are, are shop the eighth house. Uh, eighth is eight T H, not like written out the word. Uh, and we're that's our website. That's TikTok. That's Instagram. Uh, we don't have a Twitter. I don't really understand Twitter. I'm an old, so I don't really understand Twitter. Um, let's see. I have a new deck coming out through PM press. So PM press is a radical anti-capitalist publisher. Um, the deck is turning terrestrial tides tarot, and it is an anti-capitalist tarot deck in the zine style, like riot girl zines from the nineties. Uh, that will be coming in spring 2023 and check out PM press. Cause they're like amazing. Uh, if you're looking to learn about anti-capitalism, they are, they have a lot of good stuff. Um, I think that's, I mean, our store is online and usually brick and mortar, but the brick and mortar won't be open until like a few weeks from now. Right. Uh, so it's all online right now. Cool. I'll link uh, all your socials and your website and, and all that stuff um, in the, in the notes. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. <laughs>